Welcome, welcome. This is the RC Report. We are part of the IBN Network. I am joined by my co-host, Keith Fleming. How are you today, Keith? What's up, RC? Not much, not much. We got a lot to talk about. The Milwaukee Bucks basically just ran all over the Boston Celtics. Did we and have we underestimated the Bucks' chances of winning a title? Absolutely. Uh, this team has showed us all year how good they are. I, I heard several of some of the people on ESPN and Fox Sports talking about if you took the name away and say this was the Warriors or the Cavs or, you know, teams that have been, you know, winning recently, we would be talking, you know, this is the favorite to win the title. They had the most wins in the NBA by three games. They had 52 double-digit wins. They're 8-1 and one in the postseason with an average victory of 20 points. The stat that blew me away is the last team to do that was the 72-win Bulls. They're the only team left with both a top-five offense and defense, the number three offense and number one defense. And they're the only team with just one loss in the playoff. Everybody else has at least three. And they have, in my opinion, unquestionably right now, the best player in the NBA and the next guy that's going to kind of take the bull by the horns for the next decade. So, and I thought that it was funny because everybody doubted them after game one, and they just came in like gangbusters the next four games. And, again, it was kind of just a bias of traditional bias. You have the Celtics versus the Bucks, And just talk about for a minute the way Giannis played throughout the series and where he is as a player. It, I, I just thought it was so impressive because they took him to school game one. They really did. You know, they were double and triple teaming them. I don't think he had seen that kind of defense all season because, you know, in the regular season, teams can't scout you. You're not playing the same team over and over and over again. And the Celtics were definitely prepared for them. And they did a really good job of getting them the ball in different situations. To me, it seemed like he wasn't bringing the ball up the floor as much, but more the offense would start and then they would get the ball to him, which makes it difficult to adjust. And the big thing for me was just the way he dominated the game on both sides of the ball the rest of the way. I don't know if Paul Pierce pissed him off or he just, you know, figured it out or what it was. But, I mean, you look at it, he was getting rebounds, scoring points pretty much at will, and, you know, doing whatever was necessary. And the big thing is when you have a team full of role players, which that's basically what they have, they don't really have a true number two star uh, they need to get that confidence from their stud, you know, their workhorse. And he definitely proved to them, look, boys, we're going to win this series. And I wonder if it was rust or just the fact that they took maybe the fact that they beat the Pistons so easily that they were maybe uh, underestimating the Celtics, which, as crazy as it sounds, because, I mean, it was a totally different series after game one. I myself who picked the Bucks in five or six was worried after game one that if they lost game two, the series was over. Like, it wasn't even a question because they looked so bad game one, they would have lost both games at home. And then they came back and just dominated. And it was really impressive. And I truly feel like now they have a legit chance to win the title. And their odds are now, uh, you know, all the way up to plus 225. And then the other end of the spectrum, you had the Celtics. What a mess from start to finish of this season. Just acrimony between Kyrie and the younger players. 
and Morris just telling the truth all the time. Where did they go from here? It's it's hard to believe that a team can go from just a year ago being in such a great position. Of you have Kyrie, everybody assuming he's going to resign. You have all these young assets. You have draft picks. You have cap space. And then just a year later, Kyrie appears is on his way out. He he wouldn't commit. I don't know after this past performance in the series if you can win with him being your number one guy. Like if they got AD or something, that'd be a great second piece. But then it's the question of what are you going to do if you want to get AD because you're going to have to give everything away. I I think both Tatum and Brown would have to be in any trade package for AD. Uh, and although both have had their ups and downs, it's funny they've kind of flip-flopped to where now Brown is playing better at least the second half of the season in the playoffs than Tatum. But Tatum, I think, has more upside in the long run. And they're both 21 and 22 years old. So do you basically let Kyrie walk if he doesn't want to stay and say, let's kind of restart this process? You'd have Hayward. You have, you know, some good young pieces, maybe play Rozier a little bit more and see if you can get some of these draft picks or a big free agent to come without having to trade stuff away. But, I mean, they literally went from everybody saying it's the next dynasty in the making to who knows what the hell is going to happen with it. And I think the problem is, one, Kyrie's, his style is the opposite of the style that Brad Stevens wants to play. They want ball movement. They want to swing the ball around and take advantage of the defense moving around, whereas Kyrie, obviously we know, I call him Kaiso Irving because he loves the ISO, and he's brilliant at what he does. But he's one of those players that I believe that are spectacular on their own, but they don't – They and then them getting what they get benefits the team – but the only thing about them that benefits the team is what they get for themselves, not what they provide for others. I think Melo was a player like that. And he's it shows he's a really perfect fit for LeBron, which makes me wonder if him going to L.A. makes sense because with LeBron and the way he plays, Kyrie can do his thing. You know what I'm saying? LeBron's okay with Kyrie for basically a third of the game, having the ball in his hand, taking a lot of shots. And that, to me, seems like a better fit than the Celtics team because, as you said, you know, Brad's all about moving the ball around. I mean, you could argue they played better in the playoffs last year without any of their stars than they did this year with, for the most part, a fully healthy team. So let's switch. Well, not, let's not switch yet. Let's uh, talk about last night's game. KD got hurt. A lot of people thought it was his Achilles. Thank God it was not. But what do you think the chances of the Warriors winning one of the next two games without KD, and then if he isn't able to return at all, what are their chances of winning the championship? I would like to say I think the Rockets have a chance if KD can't play game six and seven, but you got to steal that game last night. I mean, it was really disappointing to watch them not get it done when they had already made the big comeback with KD in the game. KD goes out, and I just – I love James Harden. He's had a great year. I'm actually usually defending him because so many people seem to want to bash Harden, and the season he's had is a – 
all-time season offensively, like all-time. Like, there's no questioning it. But what happened last night, man? He took one shot from 8.30 left in the game to the finish without KD on the court and a close game back and forth. He made a technical foul free and a layup, and that was it. And he just basically disappeared. And this brings back the memories of the OKC days where I think part of what people forget when they traded him was he had a terrible finals against the Miami Heat. And I do want to say that you got to give credit to Steph and Clay, uh, particularly Steph. He, you know, gets a lot of hate and stuff from people, which I don't completely understand all the time because he let KD come to this team. He's realized KD is the best player on their team, and he seems to defer to him at most times. But when they needed him last night, he came through. I mean, he had 12 in the fourth. He had a plus nine for the game. And, you know, Clay as well had 27. And, I mean, it was almost like there was a few minutes of shock when KD went out, and then they were like, remembered that, hey, we won a title this way. We won 73 games this way. Draymond needs to be Draymond, and let's let Clay and Steph do what they do, which is, you know, score buckets and shoot a lot of threes. And uh, the Rockets needed to win that game, and they didn't. But I do think if KD can't play the rest of the way, they're very vulnerable because the Warriors have not had the bench that they have in years past. They're already playing a ton of minutes for all these guys. And they're, I think whoever wins this series is going to be exhausted going into the Western Conference Finals. We just talked about how good the Bucks are uh, overall. And it could be the end of a dynasty, especially what's going to happen at the end of the season where Clay could leave, KD could leave. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of like the Lakers when the Lakers had the three-peat and then they retooled and they had Carmelo and they had Gary Payton. And then they lost in five games to the Detroit Pistons who were on the come up. I could see the Bucks doing that and kind of shocking the world because you kind of you kind of got Golden State dragging themselves. And throughout NBA history, it's very rare that a team can hold it together for four straight trips to the finals. At some point, your players break down, you get tired, you played all those other games, and you just can't do it. And as far as Harden goes, I think, and this is an interesting dichotomy here, they were throwing all kinds of double teams. They didn't want James Harden to beat them. And also, I, it was a coaching failure on D'Antoni because they would get into the action so late. And then you got Chris Paul, who doesn't show up. And so Harden should have taken over, but then he made the right basketball plays. Chris Paul didn't show up, and D'Antoni didn't do him any favors by adjusting to what was going on. I completely agree. I do, though. I mean, don't we both agree that if you're James Harden, double teamed or not, like, I would rather have you taking tough contested shots than Chris Paul, Clint Capella. You know, I know Rivers has had a great series, and so has Gordon, but I want James Harden shooting the ball. I want him trying to win that game. It's okay to make the occasional pass, but to take, like, one shot, it just – it was really weird. Yeah, he's got to figure something out. I don't care what the defense they're playing against him at the end of the game. He's got to figure something out. I don't care if they double him, you pass and pass right back. I mean, there's something you can do to stop it. I didn't watch it as closely for those double teams or just going by what I heard, you know, after the fact, a couple people that I trust in the uh, media said that because, you know, it's coming on late, so it's kind of hard to uh, always get it. Right. Uh, Yeah, I stayed up, but I still, my mind wasn't totally active. Let's switch to the WWE. We're both big fans. 
And the state of WWE is interesting because they're in transition. They're bringing all those NXT guys up and gals. And one of the things they did to revamp and to make everything really new, this was really the only thing they did to make the show new and freshen it up, was to have all the McMahons very prominent on WWE television. Do you think it's a good thing? I don't. I, I don't really understand it. I, I always think the McMahons are less is more is the equation. It's almost like they think that because the Stone Cold versus Vince was, you know, the heyday uh, of the WWE, uh, arguably other than maybe the, the Hogan run in the 80s. And, like, why is Shane McMahon on TV so much? I actually don't have as much of a problem with Vince and Stephanie because they're true authority figures, even though that's also kind of played out. But it's like Shane McMahon, and I will say his feud with The Miz is, is interesting. They're they're doing a little bit of the too much stuff, uh, the same thing over and over again. And I think they're kind of hurting The Miz's face push. But, like, what is he doing getting into it with Roman Reigns and, you know, uh, teaming up with Elias and it just it's like you know Shane McMahon has got to be what pushing 50 if not older and you have all these Old young stars but yeah it's too much for right. Shane McMahon because in the past I was one of the last people on the Shane McMahon bagwagon when he was doing his thing when he was younger during the Attitude Era and even later like the match with Kurt Angle and things like that it was really cool even shucks with the Undertaker he took that bump off the cage but now he's stealing spots at WrestleMania every year. It's kind of absurd to see him go toe-to-toe with the WWE's best. He's winning tournaments. Like, they actually got him there as a real, legitimate wrestler. And it hurts the product, and it doesn't enhance anybody he's feuding with. I completely agree. And I think we both can also agree there is as much young talent in WWE right now if there ever has been. Now, granted, they've got to make themselves stars because, I mean, you can't make somebody a star. The, the the performer actually has to do that. But you have to put them in an opportunity or a role where they can, and it's just they're not really doing it. I love what they're doing with Kofi right now. Uh, I am worried about what they're doing with Becky, who is, you know, white hot. But they have so many guys that, like Ricochet, for instance, who I think we can all agree is one of the most exciting uh, wrestlers I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is so fun to watch his match. And he doesn't really seem to have much of a purpose right now. Uh, Same thing with uh, Aleister Black. And it's like you brought these guys up. They have momentum because of what they did in NXT. Like, make them prominent. I I don't know if they're snake-bitten from what happened with Finn uh, Balor where – you know, they brought him up, gave him the universal belt, shot him to the moon, and then he got hurt. And since then, they really haven't pushed any NXT guys too big when they came up because I think they're afraid, I guess, either A, they won't get over, or B, maybe because most of them are smaller guys, that they might get hurt. What do you think of the new uh, angle and the new way they're repackaged Bray Wyatt? I'm very intrigued. And it's still too early to say it's going to work or not. But I like where I think they're heading with it. It's it's kind of a variation of the old Bray Wyatt that I think he's still going to end up being a monster before this thing is over. But I just love that they're changing it up because I really feel like they dropped the ball with Bray 
during his first run. There were several times that he got over big time as a heel. I think that they were wanting to push him as face for a long time, and they didn't. And I didn't think they did him any favors by his championship run, which is a you know a theme in WWE. And what I'm worried about Kofi is when somebody wins the belt for the first time, it's very rare, I guess, unless they think it's a Cena or a Reigns or a Wallen, somebody like that, that they're going to give them you know, any extended stay with the belt. But I am very intrigued to see where this is going, and it at least piqued my interest, which that's all you can ask as a WWE fan. Yeah, they screwed up Ray so much. He should have been a modern-day Undertaker. His look, what he was doing, but you didn't push him like that. Like, if you didn't want him to have the title, if you didn't want him to beat Cena, which he definitely should have beat Cena at WrestleMania that year, he even should have beat the Undertaker. Undertaker speak anymore, but you can't have a guy talking about he's the eater of worlds and he's come to tear down a machine and start a revolution and then you keep jobbing him out. You just can't do it. He was at the apex with Cena and then when you keep losing those great promos don't mean a lot. It's a lot like with Rusev. I kind of feel in the same boat with him that you can't push a guy and then always have them lose. Wins and losses matter in the WWE. I know that, you know, people say, well, the outcomes are predetermined. That doesn't mean that people don't notice if a guy wins or loses all the time. And, I mean, how many pay-per-views was it seriously straight where they pushed Bray Wyatt at this unstoppable heel and then John Cena would beat him and then Dean Ambrose would beat him and then Daniel Bryan would beat him and then the Undertaker would beat him and it's just like he can't keep doing this and expect people to take him as the performer that he was but I really am hopeful that they a allow him to be creative I've heard a lot of you know Bray Wyatt stuff is actually him did you hear the deal with where he basically said he had four straight promos I guess in 2015 or 2016 where there was a hidden message. I still haven't found if anybody's found it yet. Yeah, um, I, saw, I, I mean, saw that. that. Someone said they found so, He said someone found it, but he didn't tell what the message was when I saw it last. Oh, well, I, I'm really I know, right? to see that. It just shows that he cares about his character, and I hope they give him the freedom because I, this to me seems like Bray Wyatt has created this. It's like this Mr. Rogers psycho I you know I don't mm-hmm. really know how to describe it, but it's something different, and that is hard to find yeah. today in the WWE. And he's really giving it his all. You can see that he is selling it just as hard as he, as he sold his other Bray Wyatt character or the other manifestation of it. And you know, giving it all you got is like I'm hoping it is part of his idea. But if it's not his idea, and the way he's selling this demented Pee Wee's Playhouse, Mister Rogers thing. But my struggle with it is, what does it look like in the ring? What does it look like when he enters the the building? Like, how does he get over in the actual arena? Because this is doing something, but how do you translate that? That's a very fair question. And to be honest, I haven't really thought of it because I've enjoyed the promos so much. But they've got it's going to be a very thin line. I think they're going to need a kind of – expose where the character's going before they get him in the ring or you're right this could become a mess if it's a guy in a cardigan sweater uh you know wrestling uh guys i don't I don't really know how that's going to be intimidating so i don't know whether it be one of the segments like i wish they did more of this stuff like back in the day with like 
Brutus Beefcake's barber shop, stuff like that, where maybe he has somebody on as a guest and he turns on them or something like that. But they definitely need to set up a program before they get them in the ring, like somebody to face, or it, it, it could go south. You alluded to it earlier, and it does kind of seem to me that Becky, if not declining, has hit a plateau. They really screwed up the lead-up to WrestleMania, hell, by putting Charlotte in it. But she was so white-hot, and what she was doing with Ronda Rousey after the Royal Rumble, she still had the juice. And the, the WrestleMania match was botched. She gets the push, but then after that, most of her promos have been about being Becky Two Belts and what she has accomplished and not so much. And then putting other talent over, which I'm kind of game with, but it, it's been like nice Becky, I'm at the top of the mountain Becky, I take all comers Becky, but not really a distinctive character. It's the same old WWE formula. They know how much people got stale and tired of the John Cena, you know, Roman Reigns. They finally have a face that, and I'm not comparing her to Stone Cold, but I'm saying that she was not your typical face. She's more of a true tweener. And then the minute they get the belt, they do this a lot. It's like then they have to be an all-out face. And I actually am high on Lacey Evans, but I have so much deja vu of Daniel Bryan Kane after he won his belt at WrestleMania 30, that's like, she has all this momentum. Now is the time to put her in a big feud. Like, whether I, I like what they're doing with Bailey, but I just don't think you can have some unknown. And all you need to know about the way they're treating Becky Lynch right now is she was in Ireland this week, and they didn't even say, they said, welcome Becky Lynch. They did not even say, returning home, you're two, you know, two yeah. belt champ. And it just shows how they're overlooking Honestly, they're most over-character on television. And I I struggle with it because I really do like Lacey, and I don't have a problem with the fact that I think it's actually been the best thing about Becky since she won the title is this feud, and they got this contrast, and they're really intense when they have these blows. But they are intent on putting over Charlotte, which is a retread. I don't know how many pay-per-views that she's fought Charlotte since. SummerSlam, but it's a hell of a lot, and it's too much. And then, so, Anissa, if you want to do this thing where she's going to overcome all the odds and win, fight two people and come out on top, I need her to hate both of them. I need maybe them to double-team her. I need not to see SmackDown totally, but if they did that, I apologize. But I need more for her. She's got to face some adversity and she's got to get fired up. Maybe you get Stephanie. They had some heat between her and Stephanie. Did she put Stephanie in the damn uh, disarmor? Like, you got to give me something for her to overcome and something for her to rebel against. I completely agree, and I think they dropped the ball on that, that, you know, I understand Rhonda got hurt. She wants to have kids. There's all kinds of things going on, but it's you said it. They botched the main event. This was the, probably the most hyped main event I can remember, at least since WrestleMania 30. It was so-so eh, lead up at times. Some parts were really good and some were really bad. And then they don't even let it be a clean victory. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, the way it went down, whether it was a referee made a mistake or whatever, it took away 
from all that work, like this was supposed to be her defining moment. She had gone through this challenge, overcame too many injuries, if you ask me, and, you know, finally had her WrestleMania moment, and they made it seem not legit by the way the finish it. Like one of those girls should have tapped out. Like either Charlotte or Ronda should have tapped out. That's the only way Becky should have won that match to show she earned that belt. And with that weird pin with a shoulder up, it was just, it was, it was disappointing, quite frankly, and too late. I think like was, they should never have I think a, that was a pay-per-view the going on. Because they said that's the intended finish. I think it was Ronda and the ref, or I don't know. It was just really messed up. I, I was, ugh, didn't feel it. Uh, probably the highlight of WrestleMania ended up being Kofi winning the championship. How long do you think this run should go, and do you like the way they've been handling it? I do like the way they've been handling I love that Kofi has came out, and, I mean, I should have known something was up the Raw after WrestleMania, but they got me. Like, they got me with that title versus title match, and I was like, holy crap, they're going to have two different champions that have both of the main belts in the men's and women's division. And, of course, it was the Samoz, and, of course, that was what it was going to be. Like, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking, but I love how Kofi came out and was basically like, yeah, you think you're the man, Seth. I'm the man. Let's do this. He has, you know, not backed down from any challenge, whether it be Daniel Bryan or whoever. I am really What do you think of the stuff with Kevin gonna... Owens? I don't really understand why that's the guy that they're going after, only because it appeared like they were trying to turn Kevin Owens' face. I know he acted like a heel in the last SmackDown, but – I actually would be more interested if they would have had this program with Sami Zayn, who has been, to me, fascinating uh, since he came back, the way he's calling out smart fans. And and uh, it's a really creative stick that I have not seen ever uh, in well, any I feel like promotion. Get, we might disagree because I feel like it's starting to get a little stale. Like, I feel two promos, too many of that. At least now you had something on Braun Strowman. But I kind of got the feeling that, and I enjoyed the first couple, but I think it's been four or five now. But now they're gonna fight. He's gonna fight Strowman, and he's not gonna go over most likely. So it's all a waste. Nah. But I did feel like that at the beginning. No, that's and that's fair, and uh, it, it is something where I wonder how much material you can have with that. Uh, and Sammy's a good talker. I wouldn't call him a great talker, but. I just really hope that they give Kofi a run. I mean, this guy has done everything in the WWE except for be the champion, and he finally is the man. It's not like SmackDown is loaded with main eventers, and they don't, they appear, which I give them credit, that they're going to at least, it looks like for a little while, keep Roman Reigns away from the title picture, which is a smart decision if they want him to truly be a face and get the fans to continue to support him. But why not let Kofi have a run for five, six months? And then whether it's Xavier or Big E, to me it makes all the sense in the world that one of the New Day guys gets jealous, turns on him, there's a big feud, and then you can make a star in either one of those guys if they're the hill that steals the championship from Kofi. The wild card thing they've got going on, Sometimes I think they just do stuff to, I don't know, like, it just seems desperate. You're diluting the brands by making them go back and forth. You already kind of had Becky doing it, but it just, 
I don't know. It, it just doesn't do a lot for me. It just dilutes the brand. At least Becky's made sense, though, right? She had two belts, so she kind of had to do it. The rest of these guys, to me, you're signaling to the rest of your roster and your audience that there's only really like six or eight guys that we got that we think are real big-time main event attractions, and we need them to be on both shows to be entertaining. And it's like, what does that tell to your fans and the rest of the locker room? That I mean, if you're going to do a brand split, do it. If you're not, don't. And do away with the two belts. I think the feuds would be a lot more entertaining and not so, you know, the same thing over and over and over again if they just had one belt and everybody was on both brands. But it's like they want to have their cake and eat it too, and it's not. I didn't really like it either. And it's exactly what you said. It's almost like they saw a rating and said, okay, we need to do something. And I thought it was kind of entertaining that it almost was like Vince was trying to say he came up on the fly when it looks like both of me and you were thinking the same thing. Like, did they come up with this literally like this morning or yesterday? Because that's what it felt like. Let's transition to Game of Thrones. We've only got two oh, yeah. episodes left. You and I uh, have been trying to hook up for this uh, podcast about it and get it in. So I figured we just do it all in one podcast, everything that we both like. A lot of people believe and have believed or hoped that it wouldn't happen that Danny would become the Mad Queen. How do you think that shakes out in the next two weeks? It, it appears that they're setting it up, and it makes sense because they have laid you know, these breadcrumbs over all eight seasons. The only frustration I have with it is now it feels like it's kind of rushed because they still are kind of not making anything be definitive bad. I mean, they definitely set it up at the end of this episode with the Dracarys. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, she lost one of her children in the dragon, her two most trusted advisors. Uh, She's got, you know, her other top advisors, you know, basically doing a mutiny. I, I think that they're either heading to where, she does turn evil and John has to kill her or either B she's going to come close to turning evil. And then I think she has to sacrifice herself for the good to win. And John will be on the throne. I definitely think she comes close and then something happens to make her wake up. I could see her like seeing people on fire and then just deciding to pull back or maybe she sacrifices herself but I don't think it ends with her being the bad one. I think Khaleesi is so popular. Danny's such a popular character. You could argue she's the most popular character. Maybe her, Jon Snow, Tyrion, one of those has to be the most popular character. And so I don't see them ruining her forever. And the show has become a lot about wish fulfillment and fan service. So I just don't see that happening. Do you think that the fans are really ruining the last season. Uh, like To me, it just seems like people are mad. Two camps, I guess, for being mad. One is they think the writing sucks. They pretty much, I think the writing has dropped, but I don't think it sucks. And then two, their theories, basically their theories and the things they want to happen are not happening. I think you hit the, like, literally it on the nail right there that, The biggest issue, and it's been this way 
as we get more and more into the social media, internet age, where there's all this information, there's all these theories, there's all these Reddit threads, where people are not satisfied because they find, you know, basically either their opinion or somebody's opinion of how it should end, and then when it doesn't go that way, they get upset. I agree with you that the writing has not been as good, but to be in fairness to the creators, they didn't sign up to write the ending of the series. They signed up to adapt. Nobody blames Martin. Nobody blames for Martin. Exactly. It's so complicated that he's had seven years and he can't finish the damn book, but now Bendoff and White get all the blame. Like, it's not their fault that they took this source material that they worshiped and the man they got, they gave him a seven year head start and he couldn't get it done. So maybe it's really hard to wrap this up. When you and and they always talked about how brilliant Martin is, and again the the books are great. The and I mean the writing in the beginning was wonderful, but there was people with you know literature and English backgrounds that were worrying that he was developing too many stories and threads, and by doing that, there was really no way to end. And it it appears that's what's happened is he's gotten stuck uh, to where he literally can't figure out how he wants to finish. I don't know if he's ever going to finish the books. I think what's really unfair is he's going to have the ability to see the fan reaction, see how everybody, yep. you know, likes, dislikes, and then he can edit the parts that people hate and keep the parts people <laughs> love, and they're just putting yep. D&D in a terrible position. Like, they did not sign yeah, up I, for this. I agree. It's just – and then they have been affected, I think, by, I guess, the two years of hearing the reactions, because it just seems like some of the things that they're willing to do don't really run with the consistency of the show. I know that it's a little rushed. I don't know who is responsible for this structure of, what, eight episodes or six episodes each time for the last two seasons. I would have much rather them uh, either keep it as one season and give us some extra episodes or, I don't know, but it had to be a better way to do this because it just feels rushed. Absolutely. And and the w- one thing I will say in fairness, and again, they have time constraints because of the seasons, but, I mean, it is insane the way, like, Cersei's supposedly pregnant. All this shit has happened since we found out Cersei was pregnant. They've gone back and forth to King's Landing, I think, <laughs> twice. She's not showing at all. And it's like... You know, I heard them say on binge mode the other day, and it's a very fair point that it's like it's okay if you have to speed up the timeline for storyline purposes, but you have to still then act like time is you know passing during this to where you can say, okay, we can't show the journey of them heading from the north to King's Landing, but it does have to take time to get there, and in that sense, it feels rushed and. Overall, though, I've really actually enjoyed this season. I was, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day that, like, nobody knows what's going to happen. And they deserve a lot of credit for that because we're four episodes in to the final six, and people have their theories and, you know, what they think is going to happen. But nobody really knows where this thing is going. And to me, that's a success in itself. I thought the second episode was one of the better episodes they've they've ever done that was, you know, non-spectacle, non-fighting, non-CGI. 
uh, the third episode, obviously, I am in the camp that I wish it was a little bit more uh, light and not so dark to where you couldn't see a lot of the stuff going on. But there was also some of the most incredible visuals I've ever seen on any television show. The dragons, when they came up out of the, the winter and into the clear sky, the Dothraki with their swords on fire. I mean, even the, the scene where Arya kills the Night King, like there was just some really cool shots. And I enjoyed this episode more than most people did. And I think that everybody should just enjoy this because there's not going to be a show like this maybe ever again because of the way that Netflix and binging, you know, is, is taking over TV where it feels like everybody's watching a show at one time and it's must watch TV at that time and everybody's invested in it. And you should just sit back and enjoy it. When the season's over, if you have complaints and problems, that's when it's time to discuss, but at least allow the season to end, see where it's actually going. If they close up some of these plot lines, I've been really frustrated with like the brand uh, Tyrion conversation, the brand Jamie, where he's acting like he knows stuff. And then if they don't ever go back to brand and we don't know what he was doing during the battle of Winterfell or why he knows all this stuff, that is really frustrating. But if they end up tying that you know, story up, that's one of my biggest complaints. So I'm trying to wait and see and just enjoy a great show. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think people are nitpicking. I'm never one to say just enjoy the show because I don't think you should turn your brain off. But I do think right. the criticism should be consistent. And I think I'm never the one to pick out, oh, look, uh, you know, on April 28th, they said this was going to happen, but it really happened on, uh, you know, April 26th. Like, I've never been the one to pick it apart like that because it is a work of fiction. And if I really wanted to start picking it apart, I could. So I have to suspend disbelief. Right. Now, whether some of the things that people have said are sloppy, I think there are practical explanations for it. But uh, just for time's sake, who do you think will end up? on the Iron Throne. Man, I, I keep going back and forth. At the at the beginning of the season I was almost positive we were going to some like Danny John combination. And I now feel like that you're gonna either have Danny or no ruler. And they're gonna go back to basically a king in each, you know, basically of the seven kingdoms. And I think either John or Danny is going to die during it. I think if John survives, I think there's a good chance he either goes back to the north or maybe even, you know, north of the wall and, uh, you know, rebuilds the wall, lives with the wildlings. Uh, but I, I also think there's still a chance that Cersei wins. Uh, she definitely should be the favorite. I mean, if you're going off of just what everybody has, their positions, how they're playing the game, like, she has a very legit chance to win. I loved how Kyburn basically told Tyrion after his speech saying he surrendered. He was basically like, we feel pretty good about where we're at. We'll take our chances. Uh, and I also could see Sansa ending up on it because who knows what, you know, she's scheming. She's learned from Littlefinger and some of the brightest minds on the show. But, again, the main thing to me is nobody really knows where this thing's going, and that's great. Like, I mean, we'll we'll get to be shocked, I think, in a lot of ways in almost whatever direction they go. I think in the end, the most likely scenario is that John somehow is on the throne, and I think 
they've dropped a lot of foreshadowing. His time with the free folk, his time with the wildlings, he's going to believe in that because that's probably some of the most instrumental time that he ever had. He might go rebuild the wall. I think they're going to make him come full circle. He's going to rebuild the wall. He's going to say everybody is free folk and they don't need a king and every region can rule itself. And basically, if, if this show would go on, it's all going to become a king again. But that's how he's going to try to lead the kingdom, just model the free folk wilding thing where you don't have a king because it's not a job he wants. Break the will, right? I mean, isn't that kind of been what right, yeah, at least yeah, Danny he's, was going he's for? Because Danny showed that she doesn't really want to break the wheel. So I think that, you know, I think that's a, how it's going to go. Anything else you want to talk about? I think we covered it all. You got well, there's else. one thing I'll talk about because we're watching it right now. The Sixers may not win this series, but this was a big win for them because I really felt like if they didn't win this game at home with Embiid and Simmons and the trades that they made, they had to look at their future going forward because – Simmons and Embiid, you could say, definitely do not work together if they couldn't win this must-win game six against a Raptors team, which, other than Kawhi Leonard, who has been freaking fantastic in this playoffs, I don't want to hear any more bitching about Kawhi resting and all this stuff because he has played his ass off in this series. But for the Sixers to come out and dominate like this, people need to remember how young Embiid and Simmons are, how long they've been playing together, Let's not get carried away and try to break them up just because I know their games don't totally fit together, but I do believe if you surround them with more shooters, they can work together, and this was a big game, whether they win this series or not, because it proves that they got a little of that dog in them. You know what I mean? Because I was worried they were yeah. going to lay down after that game five loss they did and come lose this game. But then in the end, I think Tobias is a free agent, and I, and I know Jimmy Butler is. It's like they got some decisions to make. And oh, yeah. they got to decide. I mean, you tank for all these years, and if you lose game seven, you're not getting out of the semifinals. So at, at some point, what would you need to see for them to trade either uh, Embiid or Simmons or try to make some adjustments? Well, you said the shooters. But what would you need to see for them to try to get rid of one of those two? I'm not saying I wouldn't trade because my thing is is be like I would not trade uh, Simmons. I just wouldn't. I worry about Embiid's health. I think Embiid is the better player by far, but he's a big man. Guys that size usually end up having lower legs, feet problems. He's already had that. And I think Simmons is literally the modern-day five in the NBA. He's a point center. And if you surround him with the right pieces, he could be great. I know everybody says he's got to get a jumper, and he does need to improve that. There's no doubt about it. But part of the reason, you know, that he struggles so much is they don't really have a lot of shooters on the floor other than J.J. Redick. They can really shoot the ball. And so teams just back off of him because he won't shoot a jumper. If you have shooters around him to where when he's driving, they can't, you know, double and triple team him, and they can't just back off of him when he's, you know, up at the top of the key, I just, to me, it would have to be a big trade. It'd have to be somebody like Anthony Davis, you know, somebody that, because I I would, I'd do Davis for Embiid, and I think that the Pelicans would do Davis for Embiid. I know Philly will never let that happen because the fans are so big on Embiid, but I just think there's too much of a risk of Embiid breaking down or getting injured. I don't, you know, obviously want that to happen, but I do worry about it. And then, like, what was up with his performance the other night? Was that not one of the strangest things? I know he was supposedly sick, 
But sometimes he just looks disinterested. Yeah, I mean, I guess you give it to the illness, but at some point you talk all this stuff and you say you're this guy, you say you're the guy, you got to – you just got to bring it. I don't care what's wrong with you. You got to find a way to impact the game. And he had a really bad game. I think it was game two, maybe it was game three, and they still won because he made a critical play. But you've got to bring it. What I don't even know. I just think sometimes he's not focused or he's just so banged up more than we think. But you got to bring it every night. You can't have two or three bad games in a series and you're the process and you name yourself after all that and you're the flagship for this team. You just got to bring it every night. If you lose, you lose. But there's no excuse. Injuries are not. And he can dominate. Like, he proves when he's focused and in from the, you know, beginning of the game. He's one of the best players in the NBA. I'm, I'm not trying to sell short Embiid's talent or the player that he is. I just really do have concerns about his injuries and sometimes just his work ethic. He doesn't always look like he's in the best shape. Uh, and I just, to me, they still need to wait and see, though, unless you get a great offer that you can't turn down. And I would even be willing to trade Simmons if the right piece came available for him. But I still say this team's still young. I, I think the more interesting question is, don't you think they were probably going to uh, keep Tobias Harris because of the age, all that kind of stuff? I don't know how you let Jimmy Butler go. He's been the best player in the series for them, like by far. Yeah. He's so material, though. I mean, who knows what they're trying to do with him. But I know you can't sign him to a long-term contract with the attitude issues that Jimmy has. I don't know. And then I think it doesn't allow Simmons to develop at the end of the game, and it doesn't force Simmons to try to be the guy in these kind of games. But in the short term, it looks good because it keeps you in the series. But in the long term, I think it hurts Simmons' development. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, I mean, what I'm most excited about, and I've been saying this for a while, and this is no offense to KD, in some ways, and I hate to say this because it's an injury, but if he misses the rest of the playoffs, it's so much more interesting. Just like if he leaves Golden State at the end of the year, it's going to open the NBA up. And there's so many good teams, but they obviously are not as good as Steph play KD and then I want to say because I've sometimes been a big Draymond Green hater that dude has been so incredible this playoff series and when he wants to be the guy that he is I mean that three he hit last night I know you said you were half asleep like he got into it he was really mad about a foul call and he came right down and buried a three that he held his release on and I mean it's like it's just I mean, he's been incredible, and people have got to now, because I know KD's so good, but people forget how great Draymond is, especially with those guys, because, uh, you know, kind of like we are talking about, he is their junkyard dog, you know what I mean? Like, he is the enforcer, he's also a great passer, he's their best defender, I mean, he is so important to that team, and he gets overlooked, because granted, he can't shoot anymore, I don't know what happened, and it's just three years ago, he just had a great shooting year, but... Uh, it just, if KD either leaves the Warriors this year or, like I said, he for some reason cannot play because of this injury, and I don't wish that, but it just, it would be so fascinating to see what happens from them because with the winner of the Sixers uh, Raptors series versus the Bucks would be a very good series. I think the Bucks are going to win that. But, man, could, could you imagine if Portland or Denver is in the NBA Finals? And I think they both have a chance either way just because, I think the Rocket series is going seven. 
those teams both are playing like seven, eight guys, and they're going to be tired. You know, it's like after a, a big prize fight, you kind of wear out both guys. Uh, and it just – it would be so wide open if KD is not involved or moving forward. And I would love to see KD go to the Knicks or something like that because I think he's earned the moniker of I'm the best player in the NBA. I would argue Giannis is, but, I mean, KD, if he went to another team – even if he brought a star with him and then brings a title, now he's moving up that echelon because I think he's already a top-ten player. Do you agree, or where are you having him on, like, the all-time list? Uh, definitely in talent, but I'm not ready for the accomplishments yet, given, like, a little bit longer because top-ten is tough for me. And then you got the dubious way that he kind of got these rings. So, right. I, I don't know if he, Way, but to kind of a cop out, kind of a. Well, I mean, that's been well documented, but I don't have him for top ten. But to, definitely one of the most talented and gifted players of all time. But I definitely don't have. Just him for curious because I respect your your views. Are like top fifteen, top twenty. Like, where is he at right now on your pantheon? Gosh, I haven't really given it too much thought. I would say top twenty five. If I looked at it real hard, I could see him getting in the top. 15 to 20, like maybe 17, 16, 15. I could see that if I had to really look at it and uh, I hadn't considered it in a while since the NBA a couple of years what ago. What about there, offensively um, then? Top 100? Like where do you have you them just like offensively? What about just offensively, like all-time offensive players? Oh, gosh. Um, probably like top three to five best scorers of all time off the top of my right. head for a guy that can no, shoot outside. No, I mean, it's outside. hard to argue against it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's like maybe the best. All, and it, and yeah, his inside jumper has gotten so much weapon better. As far as, I mean, I, I get, I mean, what he can do at his size, like, I mean, it's hard to compare the centers. I mean, you can look at the centers. I have to look at the stats of the centers. But obviously we know Wilt and people like that and probably Jabbar in his heyday. But as far as a perimeter player, he's probably the most gifted and versatile and maybe best offensive player of all time, which is scary and to say. durable, which people don't forget. Like, he had the one year where he had the injury in Oklahoma City, I believe, right? Or did he have two? But he's been yeah, he very durable for a guy that size. Yeah. And yeah, I think is. you could and drop him in any overall. era. Like, right? You could drop him in any era, and that dude would be a yeah, wrecking yeah. Oh, yeah. force oh, yeah. offensively. Like, no matter, you know, we always talk oh, yeah. about what well, could Steph do it in these rules or, you know, Kobe, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you could drop KD in any era, and that dude is going to be one of the best scorers in the league. Because I definitely He's have probably the, the real unicorn. Everybody talks about uh, Porzingis and things like that as unicorn. Right. KD is a unicorn of just. We have never and will never see anybody like KD, I don't think. Right. Look at all the love Dirk Nowitzki's got. And he's basically a superior athlete to Dirk Nowitzki and, like, a better shooter, too. Like, I mean, you think about that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's insane. I have really – because I was against KD for a long time, and he just – I mean, I've been amazed. I mean, some of the shots he's hit in these playoff series, and I know they're the favorite and they have all this talent. But I've really came around that, like, when they need a bucket, like, they know who they're going to. Like, they really do. And I was shocked he missed that three 
the other night in Houston. Like, that's where he's gotten to is I was shocked he missed the three five feet behind the line to tie the game, you know, with four seconds left. And that that's basically all you need to know about somebody is, I guess, the offensive threat, you know, is you're surprised something didn't go in. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was surprised, too. But, Keith, this has been a good run. I enjoyed it. we got to try to do it. Uh, more often it's hard because we got the live cast. I don't want to uh, duplicate the things we're doing, it, but we definitely got to do it again maybe next week or the week after. It's good having Always you, a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. Have a great one, man, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about the rest of this NBA playoff. Me too. All right, everybody, that was Keith Fleming.